So um, I am, oh, I'm changing my glasses, but um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I had a great trip. Um, I went to, to uh, uh, PreacherCon in New Jersey. It was, um, it was a conference um, of, of preachers called the Ingle Institute of Preaching and um, named after the, the benefactor who, who made it possible. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity to, to work on becoming a better preacher. So um, if you've been wondering if that was ever going to happen, well, you know, maybe, maybe eventually in God's time. Um, but, um, but I went to, uh, I went to this, this uh, uh, camp, this conference, and um, had the opportunity to, uh, to work on, on the craft of preaching, some, some mechanical things, and then uh, particularly to get, to get feedback from other preachers saying, you know, here's how you communicate that, or, or here's why that's a dumb sermon, or whatever it is that, that we would say to each other, and that plus the, the expert uh, telling us how to do it right. Um, so it was a great experience just for, for itself, but I also uh, had the opportunity to benefit from, from two other conferences that were taking place at the same time. There was the Institute of Worship, and um, uh, instead of having the worship planned by a bunch of preachers, the worship was planned by a bunch of people who were doing the same thing in the area of worship, trying to get better at being um, uh, planning worship. And so uh, I, I went to the chapel uh, uh, services, and I scribbled down all kinds of notes about, oh, that would be so cool, we should do that. Um, and I got a lot of ideas, picked up some ideas for hymnals and songs you know, from hymnals and so forth. So I got a lot of ideas that just were kind of serendipitous. I got those uh, because I was at the same conference. And I also uh, it took advantage of the the Institute of Theology, and I heard one of the premier experts in the the world, uh, Doctor. Uh, let me see if I can get his name right. It's Chun Liang Seao, who is a who is a professor of uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, um, uh, languages, and he preached on the wisdom tradition, which is like Proverbs and and Psalms. But particularly, he preached on um, Job. He taught on Job every day for an hour, and it was absolutely riveting. Um, he's got he's got the first of two uh, two volume uh, commentary set out. And um, I bought the first one. He said, watch for the next one in seven years. So um, hopefully between now and then I'll have an opportunity to preach on Job. But um, just absolutely fascinating. So first of all, I just want to thank you for, for um, being part of a, of a tradition and a congregation that supports continuing it. It was an absolutely great experience. And um, I think you will benefit from it um, uh, down, down the road. And I certainly hope to, to help make that happen. Um, but I say all that because um, I know you've had an opportunity to get to know me some, and you're probably thinking, well, I don't know about that. I heard that San Diego Comic-Con was being held the weekend you were gone, and it was. And if you remember, I'm the kind of preacher who on Christmas Eve talks about Superman's red underpants. <laughs> then, then you may be thinking, um, you may be thinking, uh, sure, he went to preacher camp. He went to Comic-Con. Um, I didn't. I didn't, and I, it broke my heart. I, I would never go to Comic-Con. I think I've got a picture of it. Yeah, this is Comic-Con, and um, the next picture shows you. Uh, this is why I would not, because because apparently, the way I understand it, you can never get into the panel discussion you want. Uh, you spend your time in lines, and lucky people get to the right um, uh, panel discussions. So the only way you can hear the panel discussions is on YouTube, so I eliminate the middleman. But I haven't had a chance. I just got back, so I haven't had a chance to listen to those panel discussions. I did see that Joss Whedon talked some about uh, Avengers 2. Avengers 2 is the sequel to the first Avengers movie. It'll be coming out in two years, and he told everybody the title. So you can imagine how excited they were. Um, it's going to be Avengers 2, Rise of Ultron. So 
I, I see not everyone's as excited about that as I am. So, uh, so, uh, so maybe part of the problem is you're, you, some of you may be thinking the Avengers um, as John Steed and, and Emma Peel. And no, that's a totally different Avengers. Those are the Avengers from the 1960s, the TV show, the British TV show. Nothing to do with that at all. The Avengers, if you don't know the Avengers, then ask your grandchildren. Because uh, for the last decade, they've been pumping out Avengers movies, either either about individual Avengers or um, the collection. And they've just been making money hand over fist because they think that they appeal to something deep in the human heart. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first of all, I want to introduce them to you. These are the Avengers. Um, uh, the Hulk The Hulk has a problem. He can't make a good movie. They, they always flop. And so you don't know much about the, uh, the Hulk. Iron Man, uh, the, this summer's top movie uh, in terms of box office was Iron Man 3, and Iron Man 2 was the top movie in its year, and so forth. Iron Man is a money machine. So that's Iron Man. Captain America overseas. They don't call him Captain America overseas. Uh, they call him the first Avenger. But um, he still looks like that World War II superhero. And um, Thor um, is the guy with the big hammer there. And um, uh, then there were two others that don't... I forget their names. Um, if you, <laughs> okay. Some people know these things. All right. So, so um, um, there's these other kind of bonus uh, Avengers that haven't had their own movies yet. So maybe they'll get one eventually. So, um, so those are the Avengers. And what the Avengers are is they are very typical Marvel superheroes. I grew up reading DC Comics. And DC Comics have people like The Flash and Superman and Batman. And really the only one of those who's got any real um, uh, uh, depth is Batman. And that's because he's crazy. Okay, He's so traumatized that, that he's kind of a mess. But that's pretty much standard, standard fare in the, um, in the Marvel comic books universe. They're all messes. Everybody, every one of those guys has got a problem. So, so they, they don't get along with each other. And partly it's because they don't get along with themselves. They're, they're messy characters and, uh, they don't get along. And the only thing that they, that, that makes them succeed together as a team, the Avengers, is the urgency of the crisis. That they are brought together, they are assembled, that's the catchphrase is Avengers assemble. Um, uh, the only reason that they work at all is because of the urgency of the crisis. The Avengers assemble because they're needed to save the world. And the reason I say that is not because I'm a big geek. It is true, I am a big geek. But there's a reason. And the reason is the Avengers are a great picture of what Paul says about the church. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a portion of the passage uh, of, of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 12, 13, and 14. And what we're going to see is that Paul says that's who the church is. The church is a collection of misfits who are brought together to save the world. And what we're going to see this week is that every one of us has a superpower. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're still working this out, you're, you're, uh, thank you for coming but this is really not going to be directed at you. And in fact, it may actually give you a reason to put off uh, becoming a Christian because, because as Spider-Man could tell you, with great power comes great responsibility. So, um, so Christians are given superpowers, and we're going to see that in today's lesson. So um, let's go ahead and jump in. Chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts... Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, 
that's a that's a kind of a polite phrase uh, that is typical in the in the letters people wrote in those days. When somebody says, "I don't want you to be un- uninformed," it means this is vitally important. You have to get this. So Paul's saying it would be a terrible thing if you're uninformed. So I'm going to make sure this is clear to you. And he says, "Now consider considering uh, concerning spiritual gifts." The reason he's talking about spiritual gifts is because the last couple of cha- chapters he's been talking about unspiritual things. He's been talking about uh, nuts and bolts. He's been talking about uh, bread and butter, concrete, everyday reality. He's talked about sexual relationships. What is what is uh, proper? Uh, uh, what is what is uh, ethically defensible for Christians in the area of sexual relationships? He's been talking about food, just everyday stuff. He's been talking about is it okay? Um, in, in that era, the grocery store, the place you got your meat was you went down to the temple and somebody had sacrificed a bull or they'd sacrificed a goat or whatever. And then the, the temple sold you the, the meat. And so there was questions. Can we eat that kind of meat? So Paul talks about those everyday uh, bread and butter pocketbook issues in the first part of the letter. And now he's saying, but there's something that's very important you get. I want to talk to you about spiritual matters. So he does. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, you know that when you were pagans. Now, a lot of the people that that Paul was writing to had previously been a part of some pagan religion. Whenever Paul came to a town, he would start by talking to Jews in the synagogue, and some of them would accept the gospel, and some of them would not. And when they rejected him from the synagogue, he would go preach to Gentiles. So Paul's saying, uh, most of you were not uh, Jews. Most of you were pagans. And he says, that's going to color your understanding of the gospel here. He says, when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. So when he says idols that could not speak, he's talking about the pagan religion they were part of. And he says they were enticed. What he's saying here is that there are, there are people who had fans. You know, if you're a pagan, you might say, I really like Zeus. Okay, every time I make an offering to Zeus at the temple... I get what I want. I like Zeus. Athena does nothing for me. I can't stand Athena. I would never say it out loud, but she's just not my goddess. I don't like Athena. Or Aphrodite or Hermes or whoever the god was. He said, he said, uh, you were enticed. It was kind of like an allegiance to a football team. I like the Seahawks. Can't stand the Raiders. Okay. I like the Broncos. Can't stand the Steelers. Whatever it is. Okay. If you've got, if you've got an allegiance, Paul's saying, I know you're familiar with the idea of an allegiance. He says, you were enticed, you were uh, allied with, you were supportive of this particular idol. And so he says, Christianity is not like that. Christianity is nothing like that, but I can understand why you might get confused. So he says, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit ever says, let Jesus be cursed. Okay, the Spirit and Jesus are the same God. And so you're never going to hear anybody in the Spirit of God say Jesus is accursed because the work of the Spirit is to uh, glorify God through Jesus Christ. So the Spirit is never going to lead anybody to say, you know, raw for my team, you know, your team is terrible. Uh, that's not the way it works. He says no one will ever uh, say let Jesus be accursed uh, by the Spirit of God. And in the same way, if someone says Jesus is great, if Jesus is Lord, they're saying it because the Spirit is what convicted them of the truth of that. I mean, you can mouth the words, but for you to really mean it, to live out Jesus as the Lord of your life requires the Spirit's work. So he says, it's not like pagan gods. And it's important you know that because there are a variety of gifts. He says there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There's varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there's varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates them. The, the word activate here is, is like energize. Uh, the power comes from God. The ability to do these things comes from God's power flowing through people. He says, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. It doesn't say just the people up at the front with the fancy outfits. He says, in everyone. To everyone is given a gift. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he gives it a set of examples. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. At the end of the chapter, he gives a different list. In Romans 14, he gives a, yet another list. And in Ephesians 4, uh, still a, a, a fourth list. So this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's correspondence. What he's probably doing is he's talking to the church in Corinth and saying, you all know Bill, he's got that gift. And you all know Sally, she's got that gift. Right? He's probably just picking examples where people understand that they have those gifts. So he says, he says, uh, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Wisdom and knowledge, uh, knowledge is, is factual information. Wisdom is what you do with that. Um, we might say, well, what's the big deal about knowledge? Why is that a, a superpower? Well, we're literate. We have books. We have the Internet. We've got Google. You know, if you want to know what the population of Corinth is, you can find out. They couldn't. So somebody who actually had knowledge, somebody who had been given a gift uh, where they, you know, retained information, that wouldn't be important in a church like that. Somebody who actually could remember things, who could remember the Bible. They didn't have Bibles. So somebody who had been trained and learned and could, could recite the Bible, they could say, hey, go tell me that passage about whatever in Psalms. So, so gifts of knowledge. He says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Uh, he doesn't mean faith in Jesus, just kind of, I trust Jesus as Lord. He's saying, he's saying supernatural faith. Um, if you think of, uh, how many of you have read um, uh, The Hiding Place? Corey Tinboom is a great saint, and she describes how her sister has faith. You know, Corey Tinboom's got this much faith, Betsy's got this much. And those kind of people are awesome to be around. When you, when you know somebody who is perpetually challenging you and saying, why are you afraid? Why don't you lean into Jesus here? I know, you know, the easy thing is to back off and not do this. But when you meet somebody who's got, you know, buckets of faith, they're a great, they're a great part of the community because they, they encourage you and challenge you to, to lean on Jesus more. He says, he says, uh, some have that kind of faith. To another have gifts of healing by the one spirit and other miracles. Notice Paul doesn't say every act of healing is a miracle. Sometimes the gift of healing is you go sit with them for a while. Give them some chicken soup. That that's a gift of healing. And he says, uh, to another uh, prophecy, to another discernment of spirits. Uh, you know, why am I being led this way? Is this, is this God who's telling me to do this or is it something else? Why, why do I want to do this? Help me unpack that. And so somebody who can help you do that. Um, various types of tongues. Um, in our church today, tongues are controversial. You can drive up and down Jewel Lake, and there's churches that, that affirm a, a, a prophetic, I mean, a, a, a charismatic gift of tongues. You can find churches that don't. And they were controversial in Paul's day. He says, I'm going to talk about tongues too. So he's going to. But he says, uh, all of these things are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. He says, these are gifts that you will see 
people have been given supernatural powers. We are superheroes who are enrolled in the work of saving the church. So the question for us is, what's your superpower? Are you Iron Man or are you Captain America? Are you, are you the Hulk? You know, Hulk smash. Maybe you have the gift of tearing down and not building up. Um, you know, uh, what is, what is your spiritual gift? You know, we need to sit in this for a little bit. I think, I think mostly we say, you know, I go to church, I do my thing, and we don't stop to say, I have a promise here that the God who creates universes has given me a gift. And so we kind of muddle through our church existence. We don't find out what our spiritual gift is. So, let's assume you want to find out what your spiritual gift is. You know how you do that? I think this is one of the reasons why people don't. Because the way you find out what your spiritual gift is, is by serving. See, Christians serve. And, and I know that, that um, you know, there's this, there's this thing, people say uh, uh, 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. That's not true. I actually have a list, and I know who does what. And it's way more than 20%. Uh, there's a lot of people who work very hard to make this church function. But not everyone. And and so what I want to say is, is Christians serve. And, and it's not just me saying it. It's not just the Apostle Paul saying It's Jesus who says it. Jesus says, um, I think, yeah, um, uh, in, in the ancient world, people didn't have a religion. They didn't follow a religion. They served a God. That's just the way that people understood religion in the ancient world. And Jesus says the same thing. Jesus says um, in John's Gospel, the night before they, they arrested him and nailed him to a tree, Jesus took off his clothes, washed his disciples' feet, and told them, did you all see what I did for you? He said, "He said, uh, can you turn the slide? He says, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. Next. For I have set you an example, you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master. Jesus says, if he serves, so should we. But what Paul says is don't do it for that reason. I mean, that's a fine reason. If Jesus says jump, we should say how high. Right? We should. But Paul says there's a much better reason. He says because that is the place where you experience God's power working in you. So let me say this about service in the church. First of all, everybody should serve, with one exception. If you are hurting, if you have experienced some kind of of trauma in your life, physical, mental, spiritual, whatever it may be, and you are healing, and it's all you can do to drag yourself into church, then let us minister to you. But if Jesus is the great physician, then he will heal you. And after a season of healing, you'll be able to join with the rest of us in serving in the church. So, first of all, serve in the church. But second of all, Serve in the area where you're gifted. Uh, there are there are occasions. That there's some kind of a crisis. Somebody just couldn't make it to church today, and you have to pitch in because otherwise things slide. So there are occasions where we have to serve just because. But again, like healing, 
That's an exception. That's not the rule. Serve in the church in your area of giftedness. Because the Holy Spirit gives you that superpower for a reason. And if you can't stand the work you're doing in the church, that's probably not God's power working through you. So find the area of service in the church where you are energized, where you are supernaturally able to do the work that you've agreed to do. And if you, if the area you're serving in the church now isn't that, I release you. I give you permission. Without shame, without having to apologize, you can simply say, this is not my area of giftedness. And I'm not going to do it. And that's okay. The Apostle Paul says, the Spirit gives you gifts because the Spirit knows what He wants you to do. And we don't want to jump in front of that. So serve in the church. Use your superpower. And use it to save the world. And I know that that sounds grand. We're going to be looking at saving the world um, over the next couple of weeks. But I know that sounds grand, and it's deliberate. And the reason it is, is because it's true. When Paul wrote this letter, when Paul wrote this letter, infanticide was an everyday occurrence. If you got behind in your bills, you couldn't afford to feed your children, you exposed them. You put them up on a hill and let wild animals or the weather take care of them. That was just the way it worked. Everybody knew it. That was the way the world worked. And it still happens. But today, it's a problem. Today, it's a horror. Today, it's an atrocity. Because the church is changing the world. When Paul wrote this letter, women were second-class citizens. And they still are today. But today, it's a problem. In Paul's time frame, it was just the reality. That's just the way it is. No one would even question it. When Paul wrote this letter, there was slavery. And Christians began to realize that their understanding of Christian freedom was incompatible with the institution of slavery, and they changed the world. The British evangelicals 150 years ago, working under the direction of uh, William Wilberforce, they changed how we talk about slavery. Today we talk about uh, uh, human trafficking, but we understand it is an evil. In Paul's world, it was just the way the world worked. The church is saving the world. And so when you work in the church, when you serve in the church, when you experience God's superpower working through you for the church, you are caught up in the work that God is doing to save the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have involved us in the work you're doing to save the world. But we thank you especially, Lord, that you have given us powers, that you have shared with us your own power. And so, Lord, we pray you would guide us. You would help us to pursue the place of giftedness, to serve here and to serve there until we find the place where we experience your power flowing in us. We pray you'd give us the, the, um, the vision, the, the intensity to pursue that to, uh, until we find it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.